0: If you have your Bibles this morning, how about opening up with me to Luke chapter 19 this morning. Luke, Luke chapter 19, and as you're, as you're turning there, if, uh, if you know the song, just uh, sing along with me this morning. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. See, it sticks with you, doesn't it? How many years ago did you learn that song? Well, that's the story of Zacchaeus. We find it in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, our text this morning. And we can have fun with this, but as we're having fun with it, we must remember that it occupies a very, very serious place in Luke's account of the life of Jesus. This is the last personal encounter that Jesus will have before His arrival into Jerusalem and all of the events leading up to His death. We read about it in Luke chapter 19. Let's look at it together, beginning in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You have to remember when you're looking at a passage of scripture that there is always a context in which you find that passage of scripture. and this is- no different than those other times as well. A couple of points that I want to remind you of that we've looked at over the last several weeks coming out of Luke's Gospel. If you'll just flip one chapter back into chapter 18 of the Gospel of Luke, you will remember that from verse 31 down to verse 34, Jesus tells the story, or excuse me, tells the prediction of His coming death again. It is the third time that Jesus has predicted His death Death In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is passing through Jericho, about to enter into Jericho. He is on His way to Jerusalem, and as He is on His way to Jerusalem, what weighs heavy upon Him is the knowledge that He will face death when He arrives there. Do you think that this was bearing upon Him? Do you think that this might have been consuming his thoughts? He tells the disciples, I'm going, I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to be put to death. Surely this was consuming his thoughts, consuming his mind, consuming his life at this moment. That makes it all the more wonderful then that when he gets into Jericho, he pauses to speak to an individual especially an individual like Nicodemus. Also within this, we looked a few weeks ago at Luke chapter 18, from verse 18 down to verse 30, where Jesus encountered this rich ruler. Jesus encounters him, and and we read there this, this statement of human impossibility, the salvation of a rich man. In, in verse, uh, excuse me, in these verses, Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so he gives this statement about the impossibility of salvation by man's standards for this person who is wealthy and who has very much, because Jesus has said to him, relinquish what you have and then come and follow me. And the Bible says that this rich ruler went away sad because he had much. And here this human impossibility takes place in the salvation of this other rich man by the name of God. Zacchaeus. Also, At the end of Luke chapter 18, we we read of Jesus encountering this blind beggar just outside of of Jericho. Before he enters into the city, he he encounters this man who is crying out for Jesus, son of David, to have mercy on him. And what we find here is the deliverance of a blind man, a man lost in his blindness and his poverty. And then on the very heels of this, we find the deliverance of a man lost in his wealth. And his corruption. The saving power of Jesus Christ is not limited by your circumstance. In fact, the saving power of Jesus Christ is not limited by anything. That gives us the context in which we find this encounter. Jesus having just earlier spoken of the impossibility of a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because he relies on his wealth more than he relies on the saving power of Jesus. Jesus telling his death and what awaits him when he gets to Jerusalem and yet still being able to stop and engage with Zacchaeus and then healing this blind beggar. And as he comes into Jericho, he encounters another sinner. Jericho is a city just about 17 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's it's located in the, the, the West Bank today. It's a border city. It, it, it sits at an international crossroads. The northern, southern, eastern, and western highway all converges right into Jericho. It is a major trade route, and Jericho was one of the richest cities in all of Palestine. And of course, you know with all of that trade taking place, you can imagine that the Roman government wanted to get their hands on a piece of the pie. And indeed they did by implementing taxes along these trade routes. With everything that was traded, Rome would receive a portion of taxes that would take place. Jericho had one of those tax stations there. Guess who ran the tax station? Good old wee Zacchaeus. We're told that he was the chief tax collector. That means he was the boss. That means of all of the other tax collectors in the city, Zacchaeus was the head honcho. He was the leader of the tax cartel in Jericho. Which meant he was filthy rich. He was loaded. It's funny, the name Zacchaeus means pure. (laughs) Yeah, right. Not with this Zacchaeus. Parents obviously had high hopes for him. How disappointed they must have been when their son enters into collecting taxes for the Roman government. You can't imagine how hated these people were. You can't imagine how despised a tax collector was. They were hated by the Jewish people. They were seen as traitors. They were Jews who had sold their souls to the Roman government, they believed. They worked on kind of a commission basis. You go out and collect taxes for us, and here's the portion that you'll send to Rome. But by the way, if you'd like a little extra, you go ahead and get a little extra for yourself. And you have the full authority of the Roman military at your disposal to make sure someone pays their taxes. And so they come knocking on your door, you owe $5 to them, but these tax collectors come in and say, oh no, I'm sorry, there's been, there's been an error in calculations, you actually owe $10. They would send 5 to Rome, they would keep 5 for themselves. You understand why they're despised? Understand why the Jewish people hated them so much? They didn't even like the fact that Rome was there. They were under Roman control. They wanted Rome out, and they wanted the tax system out with it. And these, these, these tax collectors, they were raking in the money hand over fist. It was, it, was, it was a first century pyramid scheme. That's what it was. And Zacchaeus had all of these tax collectors under him charged with getting a certain amount in taxes. Anything extra they could get was for them. But if you want to keep this lucrative job, do you know what you need to do for the chief tax collector? You better be patting his pocket. You better be good to the chief tax collector. You better be going out there and bringing in everything that you can and giving to the chief tax collector everything that you can, or he might give your post to someone else. See what a corrupt system this is? Begin to understand why they were so despised. They were so despised, in fact, that Jewish courts would not even let a tax collector testify in a court setting. They considered their evidence to be invalid when it came to court testimony. And Here you have Zacchaeus, this this sinner, the chief tax collector, considered himself to be the highest of the high, but in reality he was the lowest of the low. This was the sinner that Jesus encountered on his way to Jerusalem. Having seen the sinner, though, let's look at the Savior as well. Jesus' fame had spread, understandably, over the entire region. Word. Of this man, Jesus, who had raised the dead people back to life. This, this man, Jesus, who with but a word had calmed a storm on the Sea of Galilee. This Jesus who took just a schoolboy's lunch and fed thousands upon thousands of people with him. And now he's coming to Jericho. Can you imagine the excitement that people were feeling at this? Obviously, the streets were jammed. The, the front seats were gone. It's a complete sellout. It's standing room only on the streets of Jericho. And that was a problem for Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus, as we're told in verse 3, was small in stature. <laughs> Could you imagine short little Zacchaeus trying to make his way through the crowd to see Jesus? I, I would imagine it would be much like Danny DeVito at an NBA basketball game, trying to make his way through the players. But remember, Zacchaeus was hated by these people. He wants to make his way where he can get to the front of the crowd so he can see Jesus coming through. They're not going to give him any space, they're not going to cut him any slack. It's going to be one of those, oh, sorry, Zacchaeus, was that my elbow? I didn't see you down there. Tripping him as he tries to walk by. There's no love lost on this man. The last thing they wanted was for him to be in their midst, and they weren't going to give him any room to make his way to see Jesus. So the only seats that were left were the bleacher seats up in the trees, and that's where Zacchaeus goes. He was curious seeking to see who Jesus was. He's curious about this Jesus fellow, and so he climbs up in a sycamore tree, best kind of tree you can find for something like this. They grew to be about 40 feet high. They had a short trunk and wide branches, perfect for climbing and kind of concealing yourself in, which is what Zacchaeus would have wanted to have done. But can you... Can you imagine the spectacle of this tiny little rejected man sitting alone hidden up in a tree in order to catch a glimpse of Jesus and what he might do? Of course Zacchaeus, you know the the, the tax collector group had to be a tight knit group because they were the only ones who could stand each other and even they probably didn't like each other. They knew them all to be crooks but they're the only ones that would hang out with the rest of the tax collectors. And so stories had, I'm sure, spread about another tax collector. We read about him in Luke chapter 5. we were introduced to him by the name Levi. And Jesus comes to his, his tax station and he says to Levi, Come, follow me. And Levi leaves it all behind to follow Jesus. And his name from then on is known as Matthew. Levi, changed by Jesus, follows him where he goes now. Zacchaeus surely knew of Matthew. They didn't have any friends other than tax collectors, so they had to tell this story one down through the other, if for no other reason that someone would be wanting to have Matthew's tax position. Somebody would want Matthew's station to collect taxes, and so word would go throughout saying, hey, Matthew's position is open, let's see who can get it. Zacchaeus has heard about this. It's also interesting that when you look at Jesus, these people who were so despised by the rest of the world, it is those people that Jesus specifically reached out to. In fact, if you were to turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 34, you would see Jesus saying this, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Zacchaeus has heard this. No one likes tax collectors, but this man, Jesus, who is coming to my hometown, has said that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and indeed he is. Aren't you glad that he is? If Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners, none of us would have friends. And here is this friend of tax collectors. Walking by. Imagine the scene, if you will crowds of people, children running, dogs barking, and Zacchaeus up in this tree trying to avoid detection. Jesus comes walking by and he gets to this sycamore tree and he stops. And Zacchaeus is thinking, oh no, don't stop, please keep walking. I don't want anyone to see me up here in this tree. If you keep walking, then they'll keep following. Things become a little tense. Perhaps he begins to sweat a little bit. And then absolute terror sets in as Jesus turns his gaze up that tree. Zacchaeus. Isn't that interesting that he calls him by name? Isn't that amazing that he calls him by name? I'm sure Zacchaeus had been called a lot of things by the people. Things we wouldn't repeat here this morning. I'm sure he's been called all of them. But it actually probably wasn't very often he was actually called by name. And Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus? <laughs> now, Nobody who was anybody was a friend of tax collectors, or at least if you were a friend of tax collectors, you didn't admit it, except Jesus. And here Jesus, on his way to the cross, stops. I guess public opinions aren't a real big deal with the man who's on his way to death. And he says, Zacchaeus... I need you to come down. And here you have these two men, Jesus and Zacchaeus, on a collision course with eternal implications. Zacchaeus had a curiosity to see Jesus, but Jesus had a passion to save Zacchaeus. And so he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down because I must stay at your house. Not I want to stay at your house, not I need to stay at your house. I must stay at your house. Jesus regarded his encounter with Zacchaeus as a divine mission, a divine appointment. Here he is seeking after Zacchaeus as a work of grace in the life of Zacchaeus. And the sinner meets a savior and the result of all of this is salvation. We see it unpacked for us in verse 8. All of these other people stand outside, grumbling again as they are prone to do. Gripe, 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 gripe. Look at what Jesus is doing. Here he is again with these these sinners. But yet something happened with Zacchaeus. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give to the poor. What a change. What a magnificent change this is. It was a change so deep that it reached all the way down to Zacchaeus's pocketbook. That's change. See, according to the Old Testament, if a thief confessed that he had stolen something, he had to restore what he had stolen plus 20%. Boy, Zacchaeus went way beyond that. He said, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Here Zacchaeus is repaying 300% interest, 15 times more than the Old Testament law required. And he gave 50% of everything that he had to the poor. Out of the remaining 50%, he was going to make restoration, restitution, back to those that he had defrauded. Do you think that Zacchaeus had defrauded anyone? Yes. He's a tax collector. Of course he had defrauded people. And here he is taking everything that he owns and he's laying it on the line. Saying, Jesus, to know you is worth more than anything else I have or could have. You know what is amazing to me? We find this story just just about 20 verses earlier in Luke's gospel. You remember the rich ruler that we encountered? Jesus said to him, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the rich ruler couldn't do it, and so he did not receive salvation. He went away saddened, and as a result of that, Jesus talks about how hard it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Easier, he said, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And here we find Zacchaeus. The camel's walking through the eye of the needle. Right in front of our eyes we see it happening. And the only way to explain that is that this man had been restored to God. Salvation has come to him. He has received the grace of the Savior. having been restored to God, he restores to others. He becomes a giver rather than a taker. And that's what salvation does. It changes you. It makes you different. That's, that's the whole point of, of, of verse 9 here when Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he's also a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house. You see, Jesus did not have to go to Zacchaeus' house to eat supper. He had to go to Zacchaeus's house to bring salvation. And Jesus reiterates in the midst of all of this what it's all about. He says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When when Jesus was condemned for eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, he made the pointed statement to them that it's, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick who need a doctor. Zacchaeus was sin-sickened. And his only hope was an encounter with Dr. Jesus who saves his soul and his life. All the people who grumbled knew exactly what Zacchaeus was. They knew he was a sinner and they condemned him for it. But only Jesus did something about it. He came to seek to save? What is it that motivated Jesus to leave heaven, to take on human flesh, to endure ridicule from his very own creation, to die the horrible death of a common criminal, to experience separation from the Father? Why? Why would he endure that? In order to seek and to save the lost. You see, with Zacchaeus, he He was curious. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. There there was an internal unease of some sort. He had everything, but nothing satisfied him. Nothing brought comfort to him. There was a lack of wholeness with him. There was no peace. There was an uneasy conscience in which he lived. I wonder this morning if perhaps that would describe you. Is, is there something missing that you just can't pinpoint it? You just can't grab what it is. Might it be that God is seeking you? I say, but but I'm a nobody. I'm too small for God to be concerned about. So is everyone else that God is concerned about. We're nothing compared to him. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm too bad. You don't know what's happened in my life. I'm too bad for Jesus. <laughs> no one is too bad for Jesus to change. No one. And it is into your heart and your life that Jesus says today, come to me. Come to me and experience the difference that I can make in your life. Quit trying to make it right on your own. You can't. Let me make it right for you. That's the call of Jesus. Come to me. All you who labor, are heavy laden, are weary. I'll give you rest. You've tried it all and you're still empty. Maybe today you need to hear the voice of the Savior say, I must come to you. Father, this morning... We are thankful for this very moment, as we have together prayed your word, as we have sung your word, and as your word has been proclaimed, Father, we would ask now, please, that you do what only you can do. And that is to write your words on our hearts. Father, I pray today for fellow sinners in this place. I pray for those who are without Christ. And Father, I ask of you this day, would you please open blinded eyes And would you please speak to hardened hearts and allow the glory of Jesus Christ to be seen. The one who died, taking our sin upon Himself. And that this might be the day of confession, the day of repentance, whereby people simply call out for the mercy of Jesus to save them. And Father, I pray for those of us who are yours that we would take as our mission, your mission, to seek and to point to the one who can save the lost. We thank you, Father, for this day. We pray your continued leading in our hearts and minds that you would make of us exactly who you desire us to be.